0: Well, we're going to start this new series today called Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And it's going to take us all the way up to Resurrection Sunday morning. And if you've ever noticed, if you've read through, you ever do the Bible through a year, and you've read through the entire Bible, you see a a common theme throughout the text of Scripture, all the way from the table of contents right to the book of maps at the end of the book. You know, you see this theme just keeps on coming up and up and up, and it's, it's that phrase, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And so we're going to be looking at this theme, and it's, it's really a wonderful story, is it not, of God's glorious salvation? The plan of salvation that he decided even before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, is to give us, by grace, his lamb. His lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And if you've looked throughout scripture, you, you have the lamb of God, it's referred to, he is referred to as the lamb of God. Remember, even in the New Testament, one of the last prophets, John the Baptist, right? When he saw the Lord coming toward him, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world on the banks of the Jordan. So all the way through Scripture, all the way through the Bible, you see the Lamb as a symbol of the Savior, of Christ, who will come. It's a symbol of the Son of God who would come and be slain on our behalf for our sin. And you can start all the way back, even beyond chapter 22 of Genesis, all the way back to the garden, I believe, when Adam and Eve originally sinned. Remember what happened? They tried to cover themselves with some fig leaves, and God said, ah, it's not gonna cut it. That's not, that's not my operation here. I have a, a, a sacrificial system set up, so something's gotta die. I gotta put some skins on you. And I, I really believe that the Lord sacrificed a lamb and clothed them with the skin of a lamb. He sacrificed so that he could cover them. And we have that over and over, instance after instance throughout the scriptures. And we're gonna start right here in Genesis chapter 22, and we're gonna go all the way through to the book of Revelation. Not this morning, <laughs> so we can take a deep breath. We're not going to do all that this morning. We couldn't do that. But on Easter morning, that's where we're going to end up, and we're going to talk about the lamb who was slain and resurrected and how we can celebrate one day his kingdom together. What a glorious day that will be. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be looking at different parts of the lamb as far as symbolism goes, and it has throughout Scripture. But we start here in Genesis chapter 22. And you know this story probably very well um, abraham is known as who the, the father of israel right and you say well why is he known the father why is he known as the father of israel we have to jump back to genesis chapter 12 and you see in genesis chapter 12 a promise that god gave to, is, to god gave to abraham and basically in verse 2 god said this to abraham He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great, and so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I mean, talk about a promise from God. What an incredible promise! So God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to build an entire nation through you, through your loins, through your lineage, through your ancestry, through your offspring. I'm going to build an entire nation. I'm going to call it Israel. But not just that, Abraham. I'm not just going to build an entire group of people through you. I'm actually through your line, going to bring the coming Messiah. I'm going to bless the entire world through you by sending my son, the Messiah, through your family. And if you know the story, well, it says, and Abraham believed what God had promised him. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, you have to understand the whole, the whole scenario here, right? Right? I mean, if you don't know the whole story, then you're probably going, well, what's the big deal? Well, at that time, in Genesis 12, Abraham was 75 years old. 75 years old. Now, that's not such a big deal, right? I mean, there's been men that have had a child in their 70s and 80s. The key is, his wife was 65. (laughs) Sarah was 65. Well, then the odds are a little bit against you, right? Abraham was 75, and Sarah was 65, but the Bible literally says that their bodies were as good as dead at that age. They couldn't have children at that point. They were beyond childbearing age. In other words, there's no possible way for them to have a child, At that age, 65 and 75, their their bodies, their ability to have children was dead. It was hopeless. It was impossible. Yet Abraham, here's what God says to him, and he says, you know what? Okay, I'm game. If you're going to make this promise to me, God, sure, I'll believe you. You're God. Why wouldn't I believe you? We don't have any children right now, Sarah and I. We don't have any idea how you're gonna do this. I'm 65, 75, she's 65, but you said you're gonna bring a whole nation through, through us? You're gonna bless the world through my family that I don't have? Well, guess what, God? I'm gonna call your cards to the table. I'm gonna believe you. I believe you. And what's incredible, when you read through that story, God actually made them wait another 25 years. (laughs) So they're already 75 and 65, right? (laughs) And it's like, okay, we can't have kids now. Boy, this is going to be neat. How's God going to do this? 25 years go by. That's quite a while. In other words, God wants everybody to know that there is no possible way that they did this on their own. (laughs) That this, this was impossible for them to physically have children at the age of 190. He was 100 and she was 90. There's no possible way that life can spring out of their dead bodies. And what's that a picture of? That's a picture of the gospel. That's a picture of God telling us, look, there is no way that life can spring out of someone who is dead. It's impossible. There's no possible way that dead people can be saved apart from God injecting life apart from God granting them life. He brings the dead back to life. You know, it's always interesting as a pastor, you unfortunately get called upon to do a lot of funerals. And used to be before COVID days, you'd have a funeral and people would come and they'd observe the body. They'd have a memorial service or whatever and A lot of times people have an open casket. And I was always kind of weirdly amused as I stood by and watched people come up and pay their respects at the casket. And the deceased body is laying there. And usually the funeral home, the mortician does the best job he can. But, you know, the person's dead. Okay, let's just get real honest. They're dead there's no life in their body. And it's always amazing to me. People, well, don't they look so nice? I wanna go, they're dead. They don't look nice, they look like they're dead. I mean, touch them, they're cold. Have you ever touched a dead body? They're cold. It's kinda creepy. There's no life there. There's nothing, no blood flowing through their veins. They're completely dead. That's a picture of our spiritual state. There's no possible way that a dead person can be saved apart from God granting them life. And that's what God does. He brings the dead back to life. See, we aren't just, you know, sinners are not just bad people. Sometimes we think that, oh, the sinners, you know, the people out there in the world, they're sinners, and oh, they're just bad people. No, they're dead. They're spiritually dead people, just like we once were before we came to Christ. God has to bring them back to life, and that's the picture here of Abraham and Sarah. They're 100 years old by the time they actually have this son that God promised. She's 90, and God does something here through this story that only God can do. Remember the song we sing, VBS or Sunday School, you might, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. Remember that song? Sons had Father Abraham. You stand there and you march, and then you raise your right hand, your left hand, and you end up spinning around, and kids throw up, and then they want to do it all over again. You know, it's just a a wonderful experience. But it teaches them the story that, you know what? God blessed Abraham. Beyond beyond our wildest imagine... Imaginations. And you know what? The family of Abraham is massive. And guess what? It's still growing, it's still multiplying. God says, I'm going to do this, and you can do nothing, Abraham, other than trust me. I am going to fulfill this promise that I made to you, and I'm going to fulfill it through you. And the Bible just says, Abraham believed him. Abraham had the audacity to believe God's promise. Now, when Isaac was born, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90. I mean, can you imagine the fulfillment when that child was born, when Isaac came out of the womb and Abraham's going, man, this is my boy. The love that he must have had for that son. I'm sure he did the normal things a dad does as Isaac began to grow. Maybe he took him out and showed him how to string a bow and shoot an arrow. Maybe showed him how to put bait on a hook to catch a fish. I'm sure they spent many hours around a campfire at night and and Abraham probably wanted his son Isaac to know, Isaac, you gotta trust God. You gotta trust this God that we serve because he's faithful He's faithful to his promises. He always will fulfill his promises. I mean, he probably even talked to him about girls. Hey, getting older, i got to talk to you about the girls. Maybe teased them a little bit. I mean, they had a father-son relationship. But he wanted him to know he's faithful. That he'll do as he says every single time. But then Abraham's worst nightmare happens. His worst nightmare. In Genesis 22. I mean, this would be the worst nightmare for any parent. And so I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we read through the text And I'm just going to read here uh, verses 1 down through several verses. And you can see the story that we're going to be looking at this morning. After these things, God tested Abraham, Genesis 22, verse 1, and said, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, And took two of his young men, his servants, with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they were both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father? And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, uh, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham came, it's called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the Mount Of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it to our hearts now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you realize how many people hate, they hate what we just read. They hate this story. They hate Genesis chapter 22. And their they're thinking is this. How in the world can a loving God, my God, who is so loving and so compassionate, how would he ever ask someone to do this? It's almost, on the, it's cruel. How could God, a loving God, do this? And they just hate this story. They hate it so much they want to take a a pair of scissors and cut it out of the Bible. They don't want to deal with it. See, I, I don't think we need to cut the story out. I think we need to take the scissors and throw them out and pick up the magnifying glass. And we need to dial down on what is going on here. We need to understand what God wants us to understand through this text Because in this text, beloved, we see the very heart of the God that saved us, the God that we serve. We see God as selfless. We see God as sacrificial. We see God as more generous than we can even imagine. The Father sacrificing the Son for the benefit of others. I want to look at Five things here this morning quickly. First of all, I want you to see the inconceivable test in verse one. It says, After these things, that means after Isaac was born. That's what it's referring to. Most scholars of the Old Testament believe that Isaac, he's referred to as a boy here, but he was probably more likely between 25 and 35 years of age. He's not a little toddler. He's not wearing diapers. He's not even a teenager. He's a strapping young man. Why is that important? Well, we'll tell you in a second, but it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham responds, here I am. Isn't that how we should be with the Lord? Hey, you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here, what do you want? I'm ready, I'll do whatever you want. God tested Abraham's faith. That's what he was doing, he was testing his faith, right? Have you ever heard the the saying you probably have, anything that can't be tested can't be what? Trusted. Anything that can't be tested can't be trusted. It's the same for our faith. A faith that can't be tested, it can't be trusted. What do car manufacturers do when they have a new model? They test them. Why do they test their new car? To show you all the faults of it? No. They test their new vehicles, not to reveal the weaknesses, they test their own cars to demonstrate and to prove their value, their worth, their endurance. They want everybody to know that this new car that we came up with is trustworthy. Why, because we put it through the test. Testing is important for trustworthiness. Anything you can't test can't be trusted. Maybe you've had a difficult situation in your own life at some point. Maybe something painful, a trial, tribulation, a struggle. You know what it's like to go through those times. Have you ever met someone who's gone through a very difficult time? Maybe they lost a child. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they're going through financial hardship. Maybe they, they're, they're dealing with the, the disillusion of their own marriage or a wayward son or daughter, very difficult time. Have you ever seen people go through that and, and in the midst of it, they go, they, it's almost like they cross their arms and they go, okay, God, if this is how it's gonna be, have you ever seen people like that? And they walk away. Do you know what's happening? See, that trial, that tribulation that they were going through, it didn't make their faith, what did it do? It revealed their lack of it. It revealed their lack of it. Someone said Christians are like tea bags. You put them in hot water, and whatever is on the inside is going to come out. Isn't that good? Just like a tea bag. Whatever's on the inside is going to come out when you're put in hot water. Hard times, difficulty, struggle. They don't make us who we are. They reveal who we are. And so God tests us. Not so he can hurt us. That's not his role. As a heavenly father, he doesn't want to hurt us. But he wants to strengthen us. He wants to develop us. That's why James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says what? Count it all joy, my brothers, When what? When you you meet trials of various kinds, all kinds of trials. The idea is cage-rattling trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may, what, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God allows testing into our lives for a purpose, to strengthen our faith, to develop our character, to deepen our resolve. God tests our faith not because he is unloving but because he is extremely loving. (laughs) I mean, think about it yourself in your own personal life. Don't you like to have things tested before they get to you? I don't ever want to be getting on an airplane and get, you know, get my seat and get all buckled up and the pilot, you know how they come on? From the cockpit, this is Captain James. I'll be your pilot today. And Sorry, I'm a little nervous. I've <laughs> never flown a plane before. This is my first flight ever. What would you do? You would be like, get me off this plane. There's no way I'm going to let this guy fly me away somewhere. Why? Because he hasn't been tested. He hasn't been proven. I get nervous sometimes. We go back to Pennsylvania, and we land in Philadelphia, and then we got to take a smaller little, used to be a little turboprop, but now they actually have jets. A little jet holds like 50 people or something to my hometown, Montoursville, Pennsylvania. And I'm always a nerd because, you know, you're sitting there waiting, and you see the crew come. And, you know, these guys... I mean, it could be my, like my grandson. They, they look like they're 18, and they're the captain of the, the ship, you know. It's like, wow. But they always do a good job, so no complaints. And I'd like to see a little peppered gray hair or something. That sets your mind at ease a little bit. You've all seen the commercial with the doctor. I don't forget the, what insurance it is, but with the the lady's asking, she's in the hospital bed, and she's asking, has anyone ever had this doctor before? And, oh, yeah, yeah, he just got, I think it says something like, he just got his license back. <laughs> and he comes wandering in, and, and she's like, wow, what, you know? And he, he asks her, he goes, oh, are you a little nervous? She goes, well, yeah. He goes, yes, yeah, so am I. see you in there, and he turns and walks out of the room. You don't want that kind of surgeon touching you, right? You want somebody who's confident. You want somebody who's been tested, You want cars that have been tested. You want pilots that have been tested. You want surgeons who've been tested. You want preachers who've been tested. The Bible makes that very clear. So that you're, you know that they are trustworthy. So God tests us. And, and by the way, he's not testing us because he doesn't know. He's not testing us for his knowledge. He's not up there thinking, "Whoa, well, I don't know if Abraham's going to pass this test or not. <laughs> he's doing it so we can know. God already knows, right? He knows everything. He's not testing us and saying, boy, I hope you pass the test. That's not what he's doing. He's testing us so that it reveals to us what is on the inside. He's wanting to build us up, to strengthen us, to develop us, to... To deepen us. I mean, whenever you're faced with a test, whenever you're faced with a trial or a circumstance that's troubling, you need to answer this question. Very simple question Do you trust God or not? That's it. Do you trust God or not? Some of you, even now, right now, you're going through an unbelievable time of struggle. I don't know what it is, but God does. Every day you get up and it's something. It could be pain, it could be wrongful desires, it could be just trials in your life. And the question that you have to ask yourself is Am I going to trust God or not? That's the question. So God said to him here in verse 1, God said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, all right, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. What's interesting, when you look at the Hebrew language in this, and I'm not a great Hebrew scholar, but I, I read what other people say about this text, and they say in the Hebrew language, the cadence the way it's written actually causes the reader to slow down. In other words, the text is slowing us down. I mean, you can kind of see it after these things. God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, all right, here's what you're going to do. And everything slows down almost to a like a still motion. Take your son. You're... Only son, Isaac, whom you love. Abraham doesn't have the Ten Commandments, they're not written yet. He doesn't have the Bible, it's not written yet. He hears the Word of God directly spoken to him from God Himself. Some people look and say, well, why would God do this? Because he doesn't have the word of God yet. We live in a different world today, right? We have the completed text right here. God's not going to do this today. There's no need to do this today. We have the direct revelation from God. We hold it in our hands. We have a chance to read it. But here, he gets a direct word from God. Take your son. So Abram Abraham does just that. Now, if you know the Bible, he does have another son, right? (laughs) So you're maybe sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. What about Ishmael? (laughs) But he's not the God. He's not the son of God's promise. Remember, it was 25 years, right, before God told them and before this actually came to fruition. So guess what? What? they grew a little impatient. <laughs> they grew a little impatient. Abraham and Sarah looking at each other. This ain't. This is not getting any better. <laughs> There's no way this is going to happen. Come on, God. Maybe you need our help. And it was Sarah, right? Sarah goes to Abraham. You know what? Maybe just take Hagar, the servant. Take her and, and sleep with her and have the baby through her. And, and maybe that'll be the fulfillment. I'm sure that's what it is. And Abraham looked at Sarah and said, okay. I mean, what an idiot. I mean, what a complete idiot. You know, that's like when your wife says, oh, isn't she pretty? The answer is not, oh, wow, she's just drop-dead gorgeous. That's not the answer you should give your wife. I mean, you'd be a fool to respond that way. It's better to respond, Who, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, don't fall for that, fellas. Never fall for that. So he's not talking about the number of sons here. He's talking about the value. He's talking about the one that God promised, your only son. He only promised one. Ishmael was their own doing. The one of the promise, your only begotten son, the one you love, he says. Abraham, the one I promised to you and Sarah, not to you and Hagar. Hagar. I want you to take that one, the one of the promise, the one that your world revolves around, the one you put all your hopes and dreams in, that one. Take him and sacrifice him to me. It's written in a way that those who know how, they would know how precious Isaac is and that he's the son of the promise And you say, this makes no sense. This makes no sense at all. Why would God want that? Why would God do that? And it's, it's to raise a question. It's intended to raise a question. So God do, said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I want you to notice, God doesn't give Abraham any explanation. Absolutely none. Zero. He doesn't tell him why. Like, gee, did I do something wrong here? What? He doesn't tell him the reason for this. He does it with just no explanation at all. And he doesn't give them the end result either. See, sometimes God calls you to do something, and he says, hey, because of this, right? And down the road, it comes to pass. Well, he does not even do that. He just says, do this, get on with it. I mean, maybe it's me, but I would be very frustrated if I was Abraham at this point. I'd be going, wait a minute. I mean, what kind of cruel trick is this? I mean, don't you often want God to tell you why something is happening? Sometimes we're like two-year-olds. Why? 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 Well, guess what? Oftentimes, God doesn't give you any reason he doesn't tell you the end result. What does he say? Do it. Just be obedient and do it. I mean, he came up with the Nike slogan, right? Just do it. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart, completely, complete trust. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own logic. Don't lean on your own capacity to understand because you're not going to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will make your paths straight. I mean, this is important. It's very important. It's really important. God does not limit his demands of you To your understanding of Him. Let me say that again. God does not limit His demands of you to your understanding of Him. In other words, your intelligence does not limit your obedience. He's not always going to tell you why, folks even though we want that with all of our heart. Because you know what? Even if he did explain it to you, you still wouldn't get it. You wouldn't get it. It'd be like taking a little four-year-old and trying to explain fusion to him. This is what fusion is scientifically. They'd be like, what? What? They're not going to get it. He says, just do what I want you to do. Just do what I tell you to do. What's that called? It's called walking by faith. Faith. And here's the thing. This is important to understand for some of you. God does not bypass our mind. I'm not saying check your brains at the door. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, that's what cults do, right? They tell their people what to think. And then the people just give up and they say, okay, sure, we'll go down to wherever and do whatever you want us to do. I'm not saying that at all. We're not saying just don't think. I mean, use all the mind that God has given you. Just know, know this one fact, that while he doesn't Bypass your mind, God being the almighty creator, he does supersede it. He doesn't bypass your mind, but he does supersede it. You will never get to a stage in your Christian life where you figured out God. You're never going to get to a point and say, oh, now I got it all figured out. Now it makes complete sense. I mean, do you ever think of some of the doctrines that we... Teach and that we know that Scripture teaches us, and what do we do? We have to accept them by faith. Why? Because if we try to understand them, I mean you'll lose your mind, because you're never going to understand it. Use all the mind you have and know that faith is to take one more step every time. You know why we want the end result? Um, Do you know why we want the reason? Why do we want to know why? Because we want to be in control. We want control. And if I know why, then I can control this, see? And God says, no, no, not going to work that way. You don't get to be in control. Because I'm the one who is sovereign and I've known how your life is going to go and what I want from the very beginning on which the altar he would be laid. And they're walking up to a place called Mount Moriah. Moriah, Moriah, by the way, means that God sees beforehand or foresees. That's what that word means. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles that this very place where Isaac and Abraham are generation after generation later, this is where the temple of, of Jerusalem will be. It says in 2 Chronicles, and Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Now, what happens for centuries in the temple on Mount Moriah? Think about this. Lambs are sacrificed, right? I mean, blood is flowing for the people, foreshadowing what? Foreshadowing the Lamb who would come. And in that same spot on the ridge of the same mountain, Mount Moriah, later be called Mount Calvary. I mean, don't don't ever tell me that God is not a God of details. I mean, this is amazing. Why in the world would he take a father and a son? Why in the world would he have placed this wood on his back? Why in the world would he have him climb up this mountain and lay out on the altar? Why would he do it right there? Why? Because God is a God who foresees your need and he provides it for you every single time. You don't just know it but he foresees it he 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 sees your need and he will provide for it you may not completely understand it what do you have to do you just have to keep on walking By faith, as Abraham did. God didn't give any explanation at all to Abraham. God didn't say, hey, let me explain. And thousands of years from now, this is where the temple's gonna be, and this is how it's gonna work out, and then I'm gonna get my own son, and none of that was explained here. He just says, listen, take your son, the son that I gave you, walk up that hill, take the wood on his back, and sacrifice him to me, and trust me. Abraham, trust me. I have something for you that you're never, ever even going to believe. But you're never going to see it unless you obey me. Some of us will never see it because we will not be obedient, we refuse to be obedient to God. God says, I'm the one who sees. I foresee it. I have provided for you right when you need it. I mean, some of you this morning need this more than ever. So Abraham lays the wood on Isaac. He lays it on his back, just like our Savior had the wood on his back that he walked up Mount Calvary and was nailed to. And the wood that was placed on Isaac's back represents the sin that would be laid upon the back of our Savior. Isaiah 53, 6 says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Same spot Abraham was about to sacrifice his son for God is the same spot that God sacrificed his son for the whole world. Incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's God of details. But guess what? He doesn't tell us the details sometimes. He just says, obey. Just obey. Do what I'm telling you to do. Where's the lamb, dad? The insightful question. Verse 8, the inspired answer. I want you to see this answer because Abraham answers with confident faith. I mean, this is a question that he dreaded. Don't ask, don't ask, please don't ask. Abraham said in verse 8, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went up together. Let's just keep going. The Lord will provide. God's always been faithful to me. He's never let me down once. This is the only time, the only place in the scriptures where Jehovah Jireh, the Hebrew word, our Lord is used, the one who provides, the only place. So you have Mount Moriah, the one who foresees beforehand, and then you have Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Abraham did not know that God, how God was going to provide, he just knew he was. Some of you here this morning need to understand this that you don't have to to figure it out. All you have to do is walk in faith and obey and know that God has planned beforehand the good works that you are called to walk in. And by the way, he's provided all the means for you to fulfill that. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to Know and believe that he will. I mean, don't you know on this whole trip, I can just imagine Abraham walking along with his servants and his son. God, you promised. You, yeah, I heard you clear as day. You promised, God, and you are faithful. I am going to trust you, God, because you're going to, pro- I don't know how you're going to provide, but I'm just going to continue on. God, you promised. He just keeps on, on <laughs> preaching to himself, I'm sure. That's what we need to do to us, ourselves, every single day. God, I'm just going to continue to walk by faith. He says that they're going to go over there and they're going to worship and come to you again. Somehow God is going to work this out. He's about to lay all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his love, all of his adoration on this altar with his son. Everything that he knew was wrapped up in this boy, Isaac. Everything, his world. And he lays it down for the Lord. And what does he do? He calls it worship. How amazing is that? It's not the songs. It's not the singing. God could care less about the tempo or the style he could care less of what your voice sounds like. What's he doing? He's looking past all that into your heart. That's why the scriptures say, Make a joyful noise. It doesn't matter what it is, but make it to me. Can you imagine a church that is laying it all out for the Lord? Lord, it's all yours anyway. <laughs> Do with us what you will. How could God move? How could God work? I mean, we live in such a dry, spiritually dry area. Can you imagine a church that's just on fire for the Lord and is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that His Word is taught, is proclaimed, His gospel is clearly shared? That's what God wants. God wants our hearts. God wants us to get to a point where we're not holding anything back. That's why he tells us raise, raise our hands to the Lord. It's not talking in a charismatic sense. It doesn't matter the position of your arm. But what, what, what does that mean throughout Scripture when he tells us, you know, when a, when a police officer pulls you over and you're at gunpoint, which I was at one, one time. <laughs> it's a long story. But anyway, <clears throat> I wasn't really doing anything wrong. It was just a misunderstanding. But, um, and what do they say? put your hands up, show us your hands. If someone comes up to rob you and they have a gun, what do you do? Uh, whoa, you raise your hands, why? You're showing them, uh, no, no, way here. I'm not hiding something behind my back. So when God says, raise your hands and praise to me, he's saying, I, I wanna know that you're free and clear of everything. That you're willing to not hold anything behind your back. You're surrendering it all. That's what worship is. And in verse 9, when they, they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac. Remember, he's not a little boy. Abraham's an old man. He could have very easily overtaken. I mean, Abraham is probably about 125 years old. And here's Isaac, 25 or 35. Isaac's faster than his dad. He could have ran away. He could have overpowered his dad and said, man, you've lost your marbles. I'm not getting on that altar. But he gets on the altar and he submits to his dad willingly. Isaac, just like Jesus, said, Father, your will be done. Amazing. That's what we're called to. We're called to submit and say, your will be done. This is a portrait of Jesus. Christ. It's a portrait of Jesus. The Bible says that when God provided here a substitute for Isaac, it was a ram. <laughs> it says, caught in the thicket by the horns. Sounds a little familiar. What's a thicket? A thicket's one of those thorny bushes. So the ram has his head caught. Say a crown of thorns. The substitute has a crown of thorns. Some 2,000 years later on the same mountain, another substitute had a crown of thorns. His name was Jesus. God is a God of details. Romans 8. 32 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also with him graciously, give us all things? God is saying, I told you I'm going to do this so that you might believe. And the father says, now I know, Abraham that you love me. Why? Because you're, you're unwilling to withhold your son, your only son, from me. You didn't withhold him, but you were willing to be obedient and sacrifice him. I mean, you want to know how much God hates sin? All you have to do is look at the cross. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at the same cross. Look at the same cross. He's dealt with your sins so that he could show you his love. Not just now, but forevermore. Let me bow in a word of prayer and close this. Father, we thank you for your word. I just want to ask this morning of the people gathered here. Have, have you surrendered? Have you believed? Have you trusted with all your heart in the substitutionary Lamb of God? It's the only way for you to have your relationship restored with your Creator God is through Christ. Jesus himself said that. There's no other way except through me. Have you been saved by the blood of the Lamb? Simple question. If you haven't, you need to resolve this now. You cry out to God, Lord, give me the faith to believe. Help me to set my emotions. Help me to set my own understanding aside. Help me to walk by faith and faith alone in the work of your son who came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died on Calvary willingly for me. And then on the third day was risen from the dead in victory over sin and death. Father, I pray that that would become a reality to each one of us that's here this morning. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.